Well, it took me a while, but you need to know that your pastor has been converted. I am now a Mac guy. Yep. I'm now a Mac guy. And people ask, how did this transformation take place? Well, it could have been Apple's savvy advertisements, you know, that really prompted this transformation in my thinking. You know, their marketing people are really as smart as their engineers. I mean, do you want to be the cool, young, casual, hipster on the right? Or do you want to be the dull, older, stiff suit on the left? I mean, I want to be, I want to be a hip 53-year-old. You know what I mean? I mean, when I log on to the internet to pay all my bills and check on my retirement, I at least want to do it on a hipster computer. Here's the real reason that I converted. No more virus protection. 114,000 new viruses annually target your PC. In contrast, very few aim for my Mac. How about that? Actually, since I made my switch to Apple, I found all kinds of cool features. My latest discovery is a feature on my iPhone called FaceTime. Anybody know about FaceTime? It's really pretty cool. Now, since Pastor James and I both have an iPhone, we can now send and receive video calls. We FaceTime each other. Rather than walk the three feet across the hallway <laughs> to talk with each other, we can be really cool. We can just sit behind our desks and shut the door, and we can talk to each other now through a fuzzy camera on a four-inch screen. But it's so hip. Really, FaceTime is a marvelous breakthrough in communication. And here's why. Email is just dangerous. You know this. You've sent facts and you can send data through email, but try to express your feelings and something usually gets lost in the translation. In an email, email doesn't always convey your voice inflection and your nonverbal cues. Texting is worse. I'm convinced that in years to come, wars will start because of texting. I mean, it's curt, and it's brief, and it's lazy. I mean, texting has more pitfalls than email. And I know it's terribly old-fashioned, and nobody cool does it anymore, but a phone call. I mean, a phone call is a much more reliable form of communication. Rather than just words, you can actually hear the person's tone. You can pick up on the calm, or the desperation, or the joy, or the sarcasm, or the seriousness, or the flippancy in their voice. But FaceTime, this is better than email and text and phone calls. It's ingenious. I mean, human communication is as much visual as it is verbal. And FaceTime enables you to talk to a person while observing their gestures and their body language and their expressions and their eye gaze and their posture and their appearance. Lots of nonverbal communication goes on when humans talk. Other than two people actually just walking across the hallway and meeting each other in person, 
And I mean, who would want to do something as old school as that? Besides that, FaceTime is the best form of communication available. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul informs us that FaceTime is nothing new. That before it was invented by Apple IT guys, it was already being utilized by God. Now, as we've learned over the last few weeks, God comes and God acts and God speaks all through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, God transforms. He transforms us into the image of Jesus. I love Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. We're told God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. What a complete transformation we've experienced. From the vice grip of darkness, from the sinkhole of sin, He has conveyed us, He's transferred us into the kingdom of His own Son and a life filled with love. What a transformation. From darkness to light, from bondage to redemption, from defeat to victory, from loss to found, from death to life, from abandoned to accepted, from worthless to fruitful, from hate to healing, from lust to love, from homeless to heaven bound, from sorrow and sadness to joy and jubilation. My oh my, God has transformed us through the influence of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 29 states, Whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. This is His desire for you. His intent for us all is for us to radiate Jesus. And the process the Holy Spirit uses is sort of like a spiritual FaceTime. Well, let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 5 and we'll read all the way down to verse 18. Verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels, For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
And here's the verse where I really want to focus this morning. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. One of the most famous novels of all time was A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we find a tale of two covenants. Now understand what I mean when I use this term covenant. Paul also uses two synonyms, ministry and testament. But the idea is really the same. A covenant is an agreement that sets out the terms of a relationship. It's what's expected from the parties involved. The old covenant was given to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. It was written on stone tablets by the finger of God. And the old covenant, Paul tells us, was glorious. I mean, there was fire on the mountain when God visited Moses. The mountain quaked at His presence. A physical heaviness accompanied the old covenant. In fact, after receiving the commandments, Moses beamed, his face glowed, his face lit up with glory. He came off the mountain with a divine shine. I call it the Mo glow. <laughs> Moses' mug looked like a glow in the dark frisbee. I mean, you put one of those frisbees in the light and you let it absorb as much as it can, and then you take it out into the night, and it glows. The glory that Moses saw on the mountain was absorbed by his very appearance. So much so that the children of Israel, they couldn't even look on their leader. Moses had to hide his face. He wore a veil. The glory that he reflected reminded the people of their failure. Because of their sin, the people were denied the privilege that God had given Moses. Only Moses had been able to ascend to the top of the mountain to meet with God. And so his veil became a symbol of Israel's separation from God. This is why Paul tells us that the letter kills. The letter, the the law of Moses, it kills. The letter reminded them of their sin. It killed off joy. It choked out hope. It stunted godly desires. Rather than encourage the people, it accentuated the vast difference that existed between God and man. Under the law, God seemed like a million miles away. The law God gave to Moses set a standard that no man could reach, no man could measure up. And it left the people frustrated. Paul says in verse 15, Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. They don't see. They don't do. They don't know. The law kills. It doesn't help us know God. It just buries us in our guilt. But Paul mentions another covenant. The new covenant. And this is a different kind of covenant. If I can say it, it was a FaceTime type of covenant. Rather than write down His law, God put His Spirit In our heart, the finger of God can write on stone tablets, but the Spirit of God writes His will into human hearts. And this is a much better way to transfer ideas and inspiration. Imagine writing down directions or instructions on a piece of notebook paper. Now you hope it conveys the right thoughts, but you're not really sure. And you don't know if it's going to accomplish its purpose. 
I mean, you can lose a piece of paper. You can spill coffee on it. You get smudges. Or you can misinterpret what's written or not under, even understand it. Or worse, you can take it for granted and never even pick up the piece of paper. There are all kinds of problems when you write something down. Last week during the announcements, Pastor James introduced the New Ladies Bible Study as living rationally. So got a New Ladies Bible Study, living rationally. Well, it was really living relationally. But James gave it his own title. He does that sometimes. And I figured that it was really just something subliminal going on within Pastor James. For after raising three daughters, he has probably been exposed to a little irrational behavior at times. And that he figured a good title for the ladies' Bible study might be Living Rationally. But I asked him about the snafu, and he said that's not what it was at all. He, he just read it wrong. That's what he said. He just read it wrong. He, he just saw living rationally when it should have been living relationally. It just, it's what happens with the letter. Ideas get misread. They, they get confused. And the same complications occurred with God's law. The glitches that come with writing something down on paper also existed with those stone tablets. I mean, for 1,450 years, the Hebrew people were bound by what was written on those two stone tablets. Yet, seldom did it enable them to really walk in God's will. At times, they neglected God's law. I mean, having it written down doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to read it, let alone obey it. At other times, they held the law in high esteem, yet it was misinterpreted for various reasons. At times, selfish folks actually twisted the law to make it to support their own pride and advantage. I mean, even today, a skilled lawyer can make a document read however you'd like. Depends on how much you pay him. You can do the same with the law of Moses. You see, the old covenant was all about the letter of the law. The intent behind the law got lost. The old covenant was like God sending us an email or a text, or even a phone call. It conveyed His truths up to a point, but not without these complications. This is why God invented spiritual FaceTime. Here's what God does. He puts His Spirit in you. Rather than writing His will down on paper or on stone tablets, imagine this. God just puts His face in everybody's pocket. God is right there in your pocket. It's so cool. When a thought crosses your mind or you start to take a step, you know instantly what God thinks. You've got FaceTime. You can just look in your heart. You can see God frown or God smile or God nod with approval or God shed a tear or maybe jump for joy. But you can know not just His words, but His intent, His heart. Because His heart beats in your heart. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is right there. Isn't that incredible? Yes, God comes and He acts and He speaks. But Holy Spirit FaceTime is more than that. For God agrees to remain online with you at all times. He never breaks connection. 
He has constant access. Yes, he speaks when appropriate, through words of wisdom and and gifts of prophecy. And yes, he sends power when needed, the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit's influence in presence is always there. This is how the Holy Spirit transforms us, through spiritual face time. And this is the new covenant. You see, it's the difference between writing down directions and then putting an active online GPS in your pocket. I mean, I can fumble around with those directions. I can misread them. I can misunderstand them. I can get lost. But a satellite-controlled homing device just keeps beeping until I reach the right destination. And according to Paul, this new covenant, this new way of relating to God, this is indeed glorious. Even more glorious, Paul says, than the old covenant. You see, the glory that glowed from Moses' face eventually faded away. Why? Because it was a reflected glory. It was absorbed from the outside in, like that frisbee. And over time, the reflection wore off. You see, there was no power source within it to sustain the shine. But the new covenant, it's different. It exudes a different type of glory. It's a radiant glory, not a reflected glory. You see, reflection comes from a borrowed source, while radiant glory is eternally, internally produced. It works from the inside out, not the outside in. You see, this is amazing grace. Moses crossed a desert. And he scaled a mountain to see the glory, the same glory that God has placed just beneath your ribcage. Isn't that incredible? The Holy Spirit fidgets and pulsates and glows and flows and moves and grooves inside you. This is the new covenant. You see, God was tired of superficiality with his people. God wanted to get under our skin and he's done so through the Holy Spirit. The old covenant was external. It was a mountain that I had to climb. It was a set of rules and rituals that I had to obey, but it was too steep. Read the law. Read its demands. It was a ladder with too many rungs. You see, if the goal of religion is to be good enough for God, then how good is good enough? That's why religion always has one more rung. The glory is just above the rung to which you're able to climb. But under the new covenant, Jesus forgives us and he puts his glory in us. What faded from Moses, what Israel never saw. We get the very second that we're saved. Jesus makes us as right with God as we can get. He earns for us access to this glory the moment we give our lives to Jesus. Did you know that right now, Regardless of what I might do for God tomorrow, I am as right with God as I'll ever be through Jesus Christ. After I've lived in heaven for a million years, I'll be no more acceptable to God than I am right this moment because of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul writes in verse 16, When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil. All of those feelings of guilt and separation from God 
in distance from God, all of a sudden, when you turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. All of those feelings vanish. In their place is freedom. You're accepted. You're wanted. God lives in you. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. From the time of Moses down to Jesus, God's people related to him through the old covenant. Yet on the night before he was crucified, Jesus took the cup and he said to his disciples, this is the blood of the new covenant. The very next day on the cross, Jesus was struck by the torturers, but he struck a new deal with God and it's still in force today. Jesus bought new terms in our relationship with God. Rather than make us climb this ladder. Rather than make us do this and do that. Instead, he has dropped down a rope. And he's told us, just hold on to that rope of grace and I'll pull you up. From now on, Jesus does the work and all we have to do is believe. And this news brings life. Notice again verse 6, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. When you realize that it's not up to you to stay on right terms with God. When you realize that all you have to do is rely on what Jesus has already done. It sets you free. As Paul puts it in verse 5, our sufficiency is from God. Rather than kills, the new covenant thrills. It brings hope and love and joy in life. The glory of the old covenant was temporary because a greater glory was just on the horizon. The new covenant and the work of Jesus has set us free to know God and walk with God and serve God and love God and even be like God. We can radiate His glory. Now I know some of you guys, you not only do FaceTime, but you like Facebook, don't you? I know you do. And it's always interesting to check someone's status or update your own status maybe. But here is your spiritual status Here is your status in Christ, according to Paul. Here's your status. Unveiled face. That's your status. Unveiled face. That means no shame. No guilt. No more fear. No more sin. No more probation. No more distance between you and God. Unveiled face. Now, only fellowship. Only FaceTime. Only glory. This is your spiritual status. This is who you are in Christ. This is how God sees you. And all you do is believe and behold. I love verse 18. But we all, with this unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, on the cross, Jesus purchased an unlimited eternal data package. He gives you the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, we get FaceTime all the time with unveiled face. That means that whatever was holding you back is now gone. It's gone. You have an unveiled face. There's nothing now between you and knowing God. There's nothing now between you and enjoying God and being with God. All that's left for you now is to walk with God in repentance and faith. Now let me talk to you a bit about this spiritual face time. The Holy Spirit is the most dynamic person you will ever meet. He is captivating. He is engaging. 
He is convincing. The Holy Spirit, as we've said before, is the most powerful change agent on the earth. And God transforms us through the Holy Spirit. But here's what you need to understand. It has nothing to do with you. Let me, let me say that. You don't hear a preacher say that very much. Let me say it again. It has nothing. It's, it's not about anything you do. It has nothing to do with you per se. Look at how Paul puts it in verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from us. That's pretty clear. It has nothing to do with me. Understand this. Transfer, the transformation we desire. It isn't the result of an exercise plan. Or a program you work. Or a 10 step method. Or willpower that you muster. Or discipline techniques that you master. Or religious principles or behavioral conditioning. Or even a self-help approach. It's not you working out. It's just you hanging out. Spiritual FaceTime is living your life in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That's what transforms us into the image of Christ. To me, one of the strangest phenomena of nature is to look at two people who've been married for 50 plus years and notice the similarity in their appearance. Isn't this weird? You, you stay married to somebody for so long and you start to look like each other. Of course, this bodes a lot better for me than it does for Kathy. For I could stand to look a little bit more like her. I'm not sure she wants to look any more like me. But hang out with someone long enough and they rub off on you. You get that? And this is what happens when you do FaceTime with the Holy Spirit. When you hang out with the Holy Spirit, you become like Jesus. He rubs off on you. You adopt His ways. You begin to share His concerns. Your heart starts to beat with God's heart. You see, when you dance with someone on a regular basis, you learn to move as one. As I look in the rearview mirror of my life, I, this, is, this is where I missed it for so many years. I used to think that being like Jesus required some monumental effort on my part, a Herculean effort of holiness. That it was my job to muster up the love and to stir up the peace in my heart and conjure up joy and generate goodness and manufacture holiness. But I was terribly mistaken. Paul teaches us that we're under a new covenant. As long as I think the sufficiency is in me, a veil covers my eyes. I'm blind to the glory I desire and that Jesus wants to give me. But the moment I rest in God's grace... And I realize it's not of me. And I trust totally in the work of Jesus. When I adopt an unveiled face status, the Holy Spirit rises up in my life. And the FaceTime feature clicks on. I get some connectivity between me and God. And I start doing FaceTime. And the more I spend time with Him, the more I become like Him. 
And that's how it works. Now think for a minute what the Holy Spirit promises to do in our lives. Let me give you three words. Convict, quicken, and comfort. Convict, quicken, and comfort. This means that when I'm in fellowship or when I'm doing FaceTime with the Holy Spirit, this is what He's going to be doing in me. I mean, this is what's going on in my pocket, so to speak. This is what the Spirit does and does and does some more. He convicts and He quickens and He comforts and He keeps doing it. This is His work in our lives. John chapter 16 verse 8 tells us it's the Spirit's job to convict the world of sin. Two chapters earlier, John says that the Spirit has come to guide you into all truth. And when you hang out with the Holy Spirit, this is what He'll do. He'll convict and He'll guide. So He'll make little course corrections in your life. That's His job. He slaps your hand when you reach for something evil. He shows you a better way. If there's an issue in your life that's out of kilter, He'll tell you it's time to get it straightened out. If you're in error, He'll red flag that attitude and He'll give you an opportunity to make it right. And He's always doing these things in our hearts. He's convicting us. The Holy Spirit, He deals with our pride. He makes a sweet, humble pie. I've had to eat it a lot. This is what He does in our lives. I love Colossians 3 verse 15. It it describes the work of the Holy Spirit. It says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This word rule, it means umpire. The Holy Spirit is like an umpire. He'll call you safe or He'll call you out. When somebody makes a pitch... The Holy Spirit will let you know whether it was in God's strike zone or not. And He does it with an awareness of His peace. You see, when you're where you need to be walking in the will of God, the Holy Spirit will give you a strong sense of God's peace. But if you buck and kick, He'll keep you restless. He'll keep you on edge. You'll have no peace. Many of you remember Bob Temps. I love Bob. He got saved in our church. Became a deacon, later became an elder. Eventually, Bob served as an assistant pastor here at Calvary Chapel. But I'll never forget one night, Bob standing here in this pulpit sharing his testimony. He recalled the moment that he got serious about following Jesus. And I quote, The Holy Spirit came down and just kicked me in the butt. Man, I heard that. and I, Oh my, can you say that in church? And James was sitting next to him. I turned to James and said, James, I said, can you say the Holy Spirit kicked you in the butt? And James turned to me and he laughed and he said, Sandy, just be glad that's all Bob said. (laughs) And if you know Bob, you know how true that is. Well, let me say it to you this morning. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, he comes down and he just kicks me in the butt. And you too. Because we need it. My, he, he needs to get us started sometimes. And he, and he needs to speed us up. And sometimes He needs to slow us down. And sometimes he, even we need to shift gears. The Holy Spirit does whatever it takes to keep you and I in the center of God's will. That's His job. The Holy Spirit convicts. But He also quickens. And I love this word. It, it's an old King James word. It means to bring to life. To birth to germinate or generate. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 11 is where we find it. 
But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. The spirit quickens. You know, it's interesting. In the second verse of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, at the very moment of creation, we see the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And boom! There was light. The Holy Spirit was there to inject the first spark from God into this shapeless, darkened deep. The Holy Spirit struck and creation commenced. And this is what the Holy Spirit has been doing ever since. He continues to create. He sparks new ideas. And He forges new initiatives. And He launches and grows new ministries. This is His work to generate, to start things. Above all else, He takes stuff that died and He makes it alive again. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit resurrected Jesus, He resurrects hopes and dreams. He resurrects marriages and families that were once dead. He makes them alive. He resurrects talents and ministries. He resurrects opportunities and potentials. You remember how Jesus befuddled Nicodemus. He told him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus wanted to know, Lord, how can a man re-enter his mother's womb and be born a second time? Jesus explained to him, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. The water breaks and you're born physically. But there's also a spiritual birth. You see, the Holy Spirit loves to birth stuff. He births new life in you. In your heart of hearts, He'll birth new desires and a new nature and a new love. The Holy Spirit specializes in quickening what was dead and making it alive again. Ask Jesus and you too can be born again. Well, the Holy Spirit, He he convicts and He quickens and He also comforts. Remember when Jesus told His disciples that He was departing, He said that He wouldn't leave them orphans. That he would send another comforter. And the word translated another there is another of the same type. The Holy Spirit would do for his disciples what Jesus had done while with them on earth. As long as they learned to live spiritually, they wouldn't miss a beat with the Holy Spirit. Think of all the ways that Jesus comforted his followers while he was with them. He healed. And he helped. And he taught. And he forgave. And he advised. And he strengthened. And He refreshed and He delivered and He cleansed and He provided for them. And this is what He wants to do in your life today through the Holy Spirit. You know, the Greek word for comforter or helper is the word parakletus. It's a compound word. Para means alongside and kletus means to call. Jesus has summoned or He has called the Holy Spirit to come alongside you to help you. Watch this. The Holy Spirit is part golf caddy. He's part secret service agent. And he's part football coach. You got it? He's part golf caddy. He's part secret service agent. He's part football coach. That means 
that before you take a shot, you need to know what he thinks. Got that? That means that sometimes he'll keep you from getting shot. And that means that if you're on his team, he'll give you a shot. You understand what that means. I like what A.B. Simpson once said about the Holy Spirit. He is a God at hand, one by our side, one that we may call upon in every emergency. I would only add, he doesn't want to just hook up with you in emergencies. He wants to do FaceTime with you. He wants to live life with you. He wants you to constantly be in His presence. Let me give you one more metaphor for how the Holy Spirit comforts us. He's an usher. we got good ushers here at Calvary Chapel. Well, the Holy Spirit, He's an usher who brings us into the peace and presence of God. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I'm telling you, there are times when the Holy Spirit becomes so real in my life. He literally takes me by the hand or He wraps His arm around me. (laughs) Or there's been times He's kicked me in the butt if that's what I needed. But He walks my heart to a place of peace, to His stronghold, to a place where I can take refuge until the storm passes. How beautiful, how wonderful is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you see, it's through this work of conviction and quickening and comforting that He melts me and that He shapes my life and that He forges within me the virtues of Jesus. And this all works from the inside out. Under the old covenant, we were conformed to the letter. But under the new covenant, we are transformed by the Holy Spirit. Miracles happen inside us. Here's what took me a long time to understand. Holiness happens. It just happens. It occurs through spiritual osmosis. Rub shoulders with the Holy Spirit and Jesus rubs off on you. Just abide in Him. Just rest in His influence. Rely on His sufficiency and the fruits of the Holy Spirit will begin to grow in your life. One day you'll wake up with more love than you had the day before. And more joy and more peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and meekness and self-control. Guys, this isn't hard. You rest in the Holy Spirit and He rubs off on you. He works in you. You do FaceTime with Him and great things happen. You know, we teach our kids the importance of selecting the right friends. Why? Because you become like the people with whom you spend time. And the same is true with FaceTime. Stay online with the Holy Spirit and you'll eventually be more like Jesus. I'm living proof. The new covenant creates for us a new status. Unveiled face. No more sin. No more guilt. No more shame. Now with that unveiled face, look to Jesus. FaceTime with the Holy Spirit. Behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And you'll get that mirror effect. Behold Jesus and one day behold I'm acting like Jesus. It reflects back on me. Fix your eyes on the glory of Jesus and you'll be changed into the same image by the Spirit of the Lord. I taught a Bible study once I titled The Power of the Look. For when you look to Jesus powerful things happen. 
When you just look to Jesus and keep an open face toward the Holy Spirit, powerful changes begin to take place in your life. This is how God transforms us. Remember, the only thing He asks you to do is to believe and behold. But this is where we can go astray, i got to tell you. This is where we can get distracted. We get lured away, don't we? We get tempted. We get tempted to turn off our FaceTime feature and start surfing other networks. That's what happens. The Spirit convicts. Oh, but we're not done bucking and kicking and thinking we know best. The Spirit quickens, but but we like the rut we're in. We're afraid of what change might mean. The Spirit comforts, yet stubborn pride insists on doing it ourselves. You see, here's our part. Here's what we can offer God. A desire to change, a desire to grow. That's all we can offer Him. Lord, take my life. I desire what you have for me. This is what it means to repent. It's to welcome the Holy Spirit's work in my life. Again, our job is to behold. To stay locked in. Do you want for yourself what the Holy Spirit wants for you? This is the first step in living in the Spirit. Never turn off your FaceTime with the Holy Spirit. If you believe and you behold, your life will change forever. The English word transformed in verse 18 is actually the translation of the Greek word metamorphosis. You've heard that word. A metamorphosis is an abrupt, dramatic change. It's an alteration in shape and structure. A metamorphosis is what occurs when a furry little caterpillar turns into a beautiful butterfly. Or when a roughed out rock becomes a sparkling crystal. This is a metamorphosis. And this is what will happen to you if you, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Friend, you'll change. You'll have no other choice. You'll just change. First, your desires And your loves will change. Your spirit will change. Second, your thoughts and your attitudes will begin to change. And then third, your speech and your actions, they'll change. You see this transformation, it'll flow from the inside out. From your heart to your hands. Believe and behold. Hang out with the Holy Spirit. And He'll do His work in you. Do you dare? Will you? It's called spiritual FaceTime. I pray you'll sign up for it today. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you promised to work in our hearts. You promised to transform us. And it's not as hard as we've made it. Oh, my. We've... We've set up all kinds of laws for ourselves. We've got so many rules for ourselves. We've set up so much structure in our lives. And Oh, Lord, forgive us. We've got 10 steps and 12 principles and 8 whatever. But Lord, what we really need is face time with you. What we really need is just to live in your presence. To know your love for us. 
to, to rely on that status, unveiled face, and then, and then just look to you with no guilt, no shame, and just spend time with you. And just, and just let you rub off on us. That's what we need. That's really what we need. We need to start today. And we thank you, Lord, that you promised to transform us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And then, Lord, you change us. You make us more like Jesus. You make us, you turn us into what you want us to be. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.